This is True Self, a podcast about seeking to know who we really are using the language of astrology. I'm Laura Sweat. Aquarius is often mistaken for a water sign, probably because Aquarius literally means water bringer. But Aquarius is actually an air sign, which puts it in the realm of intellect and communication. Instead of relating to others from a place of feeling and intuiting, like a water sign does, Aquarius relates to others from the intellect, from a place of making meaning. Aquarius is the humanitarian sign, and its humanitarian instinct is to observe, analyze, and advise. It is profoundly driven by the well-being of the collective. Traditionally, Aquarius is Saturn-ruled, so themes of responsibility and knowing how to work with mortality and limited time come in here as they do with Capricorn. But in Capricorn, the responsibility is individual and the genius for survival is personal. In Aquarius, the responsibility is collective and the attention is being paid to what we all need to thrive as a group. Because of the humanitarian instincts of Aquarius, there are people who have been greatly anticipating and celebrating the forthcoming or current or unfolding age of Aquarius, a time when we will either expand human consciousness and live together in peace or be held in surf-like captivity by elites who withhold higher knowledge from us. There are widely varying ideas of what the age of Aquarius is bringing us. So on today's episode, we're examining the sign of Aquarius and how its individuality and humanitarianism shows up in our own lives. We'll investigate what the age of Aquarius is and how we can think about what it has to do with what's unfolding in the world today. And we'll ask about how both Saturn and the modern ruler of Aquarius, Uranus, show up in our own human personalities using our birth charts as a guide. The humanitarian curiosity observational aptitude, and absolute individuality of Aquarius, today on True Self. So, about every 2,150 years, the sun's position at the time of the northern hemisphere spring equinox shifts from one constellation to the preceding constellation, and this is called the precession of the equinox. This happens because the earth is rotating on its axis very slowly, so after a period of about 26,000 years, the sun will move through every single constellation at the vernal equinox. So we can think of these 2,150-year periods as ages, or distinct periods of human life with distinct themes. So in keeping with the themes of the sign, the themes of the age of Aquarius would be humanitarian regard, care for humanity, reason, logic, science, advancements in technology, And even when you get into the more esoteric view of Leo and Aquarius and what they mean together, ideas of liberation of identity, of people being able to come into their true self, their true personality. Honestly, that actually is uh, part of why this podcast is called True Self. It seems that in the human record of astrology with the signs that we use today, we've been through an age of Taurus an age of Aries, and an age of Pisces, and the next age is the age of Aquarius. What's not at all clear is when that age of Aquarius begins and ends, and that has to do with the different ways that we think about what a constellation is in astrology. Basically, all the constellations are different sizes, so they can't be standardized. So the vast majority of astrological systems, with just a few interesting exceptions, divide the sky into equal parts based on the constellations. They don't actually measure the movement through the constellations. And because the equinox has been preceding, a lot of different systems of dividing the sky up have emerged over thousands of years. And so we all disagree 
on what Aquarius actually is and what Pisces actually is and what Aries actually is. Uh, so that's why there's such wide disagreement on the beginning and the end date of any age, really, age of Aquarius included. So here's just a little breakdown of some times that astrologers have said the age of Aquarius has begun or will be beginning. The earliest ideas that I found of the age of Aquarius beginning are uh, in the late 1700s, around the time of the American Revolution and the French Revolution, also around the time when the planet Uranus was discovered, 1781, Uranus being the modern planet that we assign rulership to Aquarius. We think of both Aquarius and Uranus as having this spirit of revolution and of upheaval and of fighting against authority, and that is undoubtedly, I mean, it is certainly related to the fact that we discovered the planet in the midst of these uh, revolutionary movements. And so in this idea, we had the age of Aquarius and its humanitarianism beginning when those democratic revolutions began and with the advent of the Industrial Revolution. I think of this as kind of a very optimistic take on when the age of Aquarius began, I guess because it seems to imply that like, all right, so now we're here and that feels incorrect to me. I'm just going to just going to throw that out there. So the next idea that I'm going to throw at you of when the age of Aquarius begins is 1905. Now, this is. Alistair Crowley all the way. He related his idea that the new aeon, the aeon of Horus, uh, was starting to the age of Aquarius. And there's imagery uh, that he uses consistently to point back to that. But also he was going off of his own prophecy, not off of astrology. So that's something to think about. But Crowley had a big impact on all kinds of ways that we interpret occult stuff in the 20th century. So it's good to know what he said. He said it would start in 1905 and we would be kicking it off with 500 years of darkness. And so he related the First World War and the Second World War to that initiatory uh, dark period that would eventually lead to basically the liberation of the human personality. And then the person who is probably responsible, most responsible, for the way we associate the age of Aquarius with the 1960s, he was a Gnostic philosopher, and his name was uh, Samuel Onver, I think. And he said that the birth of the age of Aquarius was February 4th, 1962. If you pull up a chart of that day, every single one of the inner planets was in Aquarius and the south node was in Aquarius. Um, and there might have been more to what he was saying about that day, but he was saying that the age of Aquarius was being birthed in the 60s. And so a lot of uh, stuff came out of that, including, interestingly, Woodstock billing itself as an Aquarian exposition. It's fascinating. Anyway, a lot of uh, people sense that the world was radically changing in the 60s was really tied to this idea of the birth of the age of Aquarius happening on February 4th, 1962. And finally, there are even people who say the age of Aquarius will not begin until the year 3573, which... I have not done enough research for this episode to know exactly why they're saying that. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's a really wide range. We've got a big range. But the thing that unites most of these ideas is the idea that it's not like one thing that happens and then you're done. It happens more like waves. So when you think of the idea of 500 years of darkness, right, it's like you have to die to the old age to let the new age in. So 
in all contexts, really, sort of no matter who you're talking about, except for maybe the guy who thinks it's starting in 3,573, you're thinking of the modern era as a time when we are releasing an old version of humanity and being born into a new version. And so there is a an optimistic take on this, a pleasant take on this, that says that the Aquarian humanitarianism is going to be what defines this age and that we're going to uh, be able to live together in peace and collective regard because of the Aquarian age happening. If you take the Crowleyan sort of view on that, it's similar, but with a little more emphasis on the liberation of the individual in the context of the collective. And then if you look at like uh, medieval astrologers sort of nasty take on it, they're looking at people uh, moving away from religion, moving totally towards science and this concept that elites will hold back vital scientific information from the vast majority of people leading to a kind of like enthralled mass of people who aren't able to advance along with the knowledge of the era. I think that when you look at our time, you can see elements of all of those things occurring. And I think of that as kind of the interplay of the old era dying and the new era coming in. But regardless, I feel pretty safe in saying that the Aquarius part of our charts is very emphasized at this point in time. I believe we're either coming out of the age of Pisces or we're already entering into the age of Aquarius. And so Aquarius points us to these growth spurts of humanity and it points us to the themes of how humanity is growing together. So with that, let's go ahead and move into how Aquarius shows up in our personalities. So when you're trying to understand what a sign means, you look at a set of symbols. It's basically the element of the sign, the modality of the sign, and the rulership of the sign. So Aquarius's element is air, which means it has to do with intellect and communication, and its modality is fixed, meaning it happens in the depth of a season and it is not very easily changed. In other words, it's kind of stubborn. You also look at the sign's rulership, the planet that rules the sign. We can think of planets expressing themselves through the signs. So in the case of Aquarius, the traditional planetary ruler is Saturn. And you can think of the way that the sign shows up in relationship to its sister sign or its polarity. So the sister sign to Aquarius is Leo. Now, that's just baseline. There are all kinds of crazy patterns that start to unfold when you start to take a look at how you move through the signs in a year, how they relate to each other. But one of the things that I'd like to point out in this episode is that the two Saturn-ruled signs are right next to each other, Capricorn and Aquarius. Winter signs. And they both sit opposite the two luminaries the bright spots of your chart, the sun and the moon. So Capricorn is the sister sign to Cancer, the moon-ruled sign, and Aquarius is the sister sign to Leo, the sun-ruled sign. And so you can see this interplay of light with dark, summer with winter in the relationship between the luminaries and the Saturn-ruled signs. Even if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, that pattern is still there. You still have the summer signs opposite the winter signs, uh, creating a polarity between light and dark. The reason I'm pointing this out at this point is basically just that I think it's cool, for one, but also that Aquarius has a seriousness to it. It has the seriousness of Saturn. It can be known as quirky and weird and kind of very unique, 
and that's very real and we're going to get into that but in the Aquarius Leo polarity Leo performs and Aquarius observes and part of the reason Aquarius ends up getting this reputation for being weird is that it kind of holds itself apart from the rest of humanity so that it can make observations and that can give it this kind of uh strangeness you know if you look up unique in the thesaurus the synonyms are like one lone only so uniqueness can get kind of lonely and I feel like that is uh kind of Aquarian pain is being always a little on the outside so that you can watch what's happening So we can think of Aquarius as an advisor. It's certainly always trying to advise us, but it's not cunning. It's not manipulative. It's not particularly persuasive, at least not in the way that a water sign is, where a water sign understands people's feelings and can connect to them. Aquarius is speaking from an intellectual place. It really wants to be listened to like a scientist. It doesn't want to have to convince you. It wants you to see the logic in what it's saying. And so you might know this. People aren't necessarily always the most receptive to logical arguments over emotional ones. So there can be this kind of uh, Cassandra-like quality to Aquarians. Cassandra was a prophet who was cursed by Mercury to... She had the gift of prophecy. She would tell people what was going to happen and no one would ever believe her. So (laughs) that's something that I think about when I think about Aquarius a little bit. Um, Obviously, you can have placements elsewhere in your chart that make you a little less um, sort of oriented towards just talking instead of persuading. But if, if you're working in pure Aquarius, you're working from a place of I'm speaking, I'm being rational, I don't know what else you want me to do. And unfortunately, that's not always the way uh, that we listen to people. Okay, let's get into some of the Uranian influence, because that's honestly a little more fun. So Uranus is the modern ruler of Aquarius. And, you know, I like to work with traditional sign rulers because that is how all the patterns got set up. And it's, it's just, it makes more sense to me, but it's hard for me to talk about Aquarius without recognizing the influence of Uranus on the sign. There is a resistance to authority, a resistance to being categorized and a kind of like, I'm sorry, still trying not to swear, um, mess stuff up energy. (laughs) to Uranus influence and to Aquarius, which is like not liking routine, not liking what is expected, not liking what is already accepted, wanting to get into the new, the revolutionary, the strange, the things that will upend the existing order. If you have prominent Aquarius placements and you go to an astrologer or you're listening to this podcast, you might find that you are constantly being like, I don't know if that applies to me. I don't know if that's my thing. I'm not sure, particularly around your Aquarian placements. And to me, that points back to this resistance to being categorized that we find in Aquarius generally. I question if it actually is an Aquarius placement if you're perfectly happy with the way someone else has described it, because that individuality of Aquarius just usually resists the categorization. And then coming back to the individuality of Aquarius, which really is such a prominent theme in this sign, we think of genius in Aquarius, I think, most frequently because it's an intellectual sign and it's a very unique sign. And so the ability to find uh, our unique intelligence in Aquarius is really there. And yeah, you might hear the word genius, creative genius, that kind of thing thrown around in the sign of Aquarius. 
Of course, I think all of the signs have their own unique genius, which I try to talk about consistently. (laughs) But in Aquarius, it is kind of an intellectual one. So, all right. So let's talk about what Aquarius means in your own chart. I'm going to start off today with talking about Saturn in Aquarius because that's a major transit affecting Aquarius over the next several years that's going to affect each one of the signs. And then I'll move into the sign reading specifically, check the timestamps to go straight to your sign. Saturn jumped into Aquarius for the first time earlier this year. Then it's going to go back into Capricorn around July. Then it's going to go back into Aquarius uh, at the end of the year in December, and it's going to be in Aquarius until 2023. Saturn transits last about two and a half years, and they always bring up hard lessons, ways that we need to grow up, ways we need to face reality, um, reminders of our mortality, and that kind of thing. That's what Saturn does. Saturn also rules Aquarius. So when we're talking about Saturn and Capricorn moving from from Capricorn to Aquarius, that's Saturn and Capricorn from 2017 to 2020, and then Saturn and Aquarius from 2020 to 2023. And it's a lot of years of Saturn in its two home signs. Now, if you're watching this and you're thinking Uranus rules Aquarius, In modern astrology, that's correct. In traditional astrology, Saturn rules both Capricorn and Aquarius, and that's how I tend to approach the signs. So, we're having a very Saturnine time from 2017 to 2023. And historically, if you look at times when Saturn has been in Aquarius over the last many decades, you see the end of apartheid. You see the advent, the signing of the Civil Rights Act. You see, God, the Depression and the uh, New Deal era programs uh, happened during a Saturn and Aquarius time. So the humanitarian energy of Aquarius starts to manifest in some actual material outcomes a lot of the time when Saturn is in Aquarius, which um, feels positive to me right now. I'm feeling pretty good about that. But Saturn's always tough and it's never really easy on us. So it doesn't allow us to kind of rest and sit back. And so as Saturn moves through the different houses in our chart, which we're going to get to We're going to experience some tough lessons in that part of our life that ultimately, if history is an indicator, will manifest in those personal changes for each of us, will manifest in a collective shift or a collective actual material outcome of equality and humanitarianism. So that's great. So let's go ahead and get into it. We're going to start with... Aquarius and Aquarius rising. Okay. So if you're an Aquarius or an Aquarius rising, Aquarius characterizes your first house. That's your identity, your sense of self, and the way you're perceived by most people, the way you come into situations as well. An Aquarius first house is a person who is oriented toward the good of the collective and toward what everybody needs, sometimes obsessively so. I'm not thinking about little communities here. That's more Libra that focuses on like what my neighbors need, what the person I'm talking to needs. Aquarius thinks about what everybody needs. It's kind of always globally thinking about the good of the world, which is an intense way to come at life. And an Aquarius... Aquarius rising is also going to be a very unique person, somebody that's hard to categorize or define. And that can be, as we talked about earlier in 
the podcast episode a little bit lonely, right? To be very unique, to hold yourself apart from the group so that you can watch the group and understand the group is to uh, stand in a kind of individuality that can be uncomfortable. And Aquarius can really struggle with a sense of isolation uh, and loneliness sometimes. So the antidote to that is to remember your seventh house, which is Leo. You can go to the Leo video or recording, if you're listening to the podcast, to hear a little bit more about what Leo means for you as an Aquarius rising. But basically, uh, as the sister sign and complement to Aquarius, Leo represents the parts of yourself that you don't identify with as much and you look for in other people, but you still contain them. They're still a part of you. And so with Leo, that celebration of individuality, the enjoyment of being a unique person that Leo has, when Aquarius can kind of start to own that and bring that in for themselves, they can start to balance some of the loneliness that can come from being so unique and honestly special. Aquarius is really special. Um, what else about Aquarius? You probably don't really like things like this where people are telling you what you're like. Generally, Aquarians aren't huge fans of that when it comes to their sense of self and identity. And yeah, also just in general, Aquarians don't like routine or things being too settled. They like to kind of shake stuff up. So that's another element of the Aquarius first house. As Saturn moves through your first house over the next three years, you're going to be experiencing a kind of growing up in your sense of self. Uh, lessons coming through and how you think about who you are. It, basically, those lessons then kind of roll up into the collective lesson that we're getting out of Saturn in Aquarius. Uh, who's next? Capricorn and Capricorn rising. Aquarius represents your second house. So the Capricorn genius is in survival on an individual level. The Aquarius genius is in the survival of the collective. And when you're a Capricorn with an Aquarius second house, you're getting your sense of self-worth and value. That's what the second house is about. Out of your capacity to think about the collective. All second houses are like this. They're all a uh, half step different than what we're identifying with. And so for the Capricorn, who's very talented at taking care of themselves as an individual, having self-worth come in in the area of the capacity to think about humanity, be a humanitarian, care about everyone, right, means that Capricorn gets stretched into its philanthropic side in terms of how it values itself and it wants to see itself valued um, as a humanitarian but also as an individual that uniqueness and individuality of uh of Aquarius ends up composing part of how the Capricorn values themselves they are very good at like doing the work getting things done um moving through stuff efficiently but they want to see themselves valued and they want to value themselves uh, in their individuality, their uniqueness, and all of those Aquarian themes. As Saturn moves through the second house for Capricorn over the next three years, there are going to be lessons coming due in the area of your self-worth and value. Yeah, I mean, Saturn is just, it brings tightness. It brings restriction. So when it comes into your house, it's going to be tightening something up, bringing boundaries, and then you're going to have to figure out how to work within those boundaries. And then you get kind of a beautiful material manifested gift out of that. So when we think about the history of Saturn and Aquarius, uh, we were talking about how the Depression era had Saturn and Aquarius. And during that time, um, the New Deal programs came out of it, right? That's like this restriction of the depression and then something manifests out of that that is beautiful and humanitarian. So that's the way Saturn affects us. And if you're a Capricorn or Capricorn rising, 
you're going to be experiencing that effect in terms of your self-worth and value and also in terms of your money. The second house really affects your money as well. Okay, if you are a Sagittarius or Sagittarius rising, Aquarius characterizes your third house. This is your house of daily communication, the conversations you have every day, the people you talk to every day show up in your third house, and so do your siblings and your extended family relationships, like your aunts, uncles, and cousins. For a Sagittarius, having an Aquarius third house means that the people that you interact with on a daily basis are seeing you in this kind of Aquarian light. They see you as an individual. They see you as kind of unique and special. They see you as very humanitarian. Um, that's, that's where Aquarius energy shows up for you is in those day-to-day -day interactions and conversations with people. It might also be part of how you experienced your humanitarian impulse as a Sagittarius rising. You are talking to people on a daily basis and that's eliciting in you your concern for humanity, your concern for the group. It's it's in your daily conversations, the people you talk to every day where you find that part of you emerging. As Saturn moves through this house for you in the next three years, it's not the most major of transits. It's uh, the third house is a cadent house. So it's a little bit out of view from us, not something that we're thinking about all the time. But it does mean that those restrictions might come in. I mean, I can really picture it in a very literal sense, given the situation that we're in now. Restrictions around your daily communication and your daily like rabbit tra trails that you follow around a community might come in and you also might be experiencing some kind of difficult lessons uh, around your family in terms of your siblings and, and your extended family. Okay. Scorpio and Scorpio rising. Aquarius is your fourth house. This is the house of home, origins, and family. It's the house of our roots. So I've said this, I think, in the last couple videos, but basically you can think of the fourth house as everything else sprouts from that. The fourth house is the way we experience our childhoods. And so our identity sprouts out of that. And the way we show up to our careers sprouts out of that. And the way we relate to our partners, everything is just kind of coming out of this fourth house of the way you experienced your childhood. And if you're a Scorpio rising, you experienced your childhood in this Aquarian mode of observing. This can be sort of a quiet childhood, a childhood where you were sort of stepping back, maybe trying not to take up too much space, um, developing the capacity to really see clearly what's going on. When you think about the Scorpio uh, ability to understand human beings, this Aquarius fourth house where a lot of observation is happening early in life kind of helps to explain that. Um, what else? It does imply a kind of seriousness to the childhood, something kind of... Uh, holding the person back from being fully expressive. And then when they get to their career and how they're known in the world, the Scorpio ends up with that Leo 10th house of they do end up much more expressive in the way that people see them uh, professionally and in their reputation. But the childhood is much more uh, held back. As Saturn moves through your fourth house over the next three years, you will be experiencing changes in the way you relate to your home or your family or your childhood, as well as changes in your literal home. Now, I'm not saying everybody is going to have like a move or anything. Usually changes to our actual home in our day to day when we're having fourth house transits, they're reflective of something changing in our relationship to our families or our relationship to our roots. Um more than they are necessarily the point. To me, I tend to think of it that way. Um, so yeah, so you might have a, a change in your actual house 
<laughs> and the place where you live, but you will be experiencing a shift in the way you relate to your home and your origins and your childhood. Libra and Libra rising, Aquarius characterizes your fifth house of creativity, sexuality, children, self-expression. So having Aquarius characterize your fifth house as a Libra rising, first of all, I think that this is an important thing to say, means that a lot of the time creativity is experienced in the context of thinking about humanity. Like it's a humanitarian creativity, right? When a Libra expresses themselves, a lot of the time they are thinking about the group. There's another angle on that that's like Libran creativity is very unique and very strange. It's got that Aquarian oddness to it. Um, and also there is something about the way a Libra expresses themselves in the Aquarian fifth house that is, it could be a little, um, I guess, a little rebel rousing. <laughs> I guess I'm trying to say like where a Libra experiences their rebellion, rebellion is uncomfortable for Libra, but they might be experiencing it uh, in their creativity and the way that they create and uh, share themselves with the world. As Saturn moves through your Aquarius fifth house over the next three years, Libra, you're going to be experiencing uh, some kind of lesson coming to you, some kind of restriction in your creativity or your sexuality or the way you relate to your kids. Uh, like all those things are really mixed together here. And it's going to, as all of these Saturn transits are going to do, produce a shift in, in some kind of material way. Again, I'm going to get better at describing Saturn and Aquarius as I do it more. Um, hopefully that's something and keep paying attention and I'll, I'll keep talking about it. Okay, that's Libra. Next we have Virgo. Virgo and Virgo rising, your sixth house is characterized by Aquarius. This is the house of service. It's the house of the daily habits that affect our health, like how we eat, how we smoke <laughs> or not, like all the, whether we're exercising, all that stuff that contributes to our health. And service can relate to the way we serve individuals in our lives, but it often relates very much to our employment and our daily work environment. So the sixth house corresponds numerically to the sign of Virgo. So there's some overlapping themes. It's a pretty important house to Virgo. As interested as Virgo is in order and organization, and it wants its thoughts to be organized, and it wants to come at things in a rational, organized way, it has this house of daily habits that just hates routine. <laughs> and like, and so Virgos can often be really frustrated with how uninterested they personally are in having a really set routine or how they seem to um, kind of blow up their routines on a regular basis. And to me, that really has to do with the fact that the sixth house is characterized by Aquarius, which doesn't like anything routine because of that Uranian influence. It wants things to be new and fresh and different, and it wants to sort of constantly innovate all the time. And so that can be something that a Virgo, Virgo rising, deals with with their Aquarius sixth house. But also, we can see that Aquarian humanitarianism is showing up for Virgo in the way they are of, they are of service every day, right? The Where they work, uh, the people that they are trying to help, right, every day. They're, the Virgo humanitarianism, the Virgo concern for the whole of humanity is really showing up in day-to-day -day service, the people that they're, they're working for every day. I love 
the Virgo Aquarian sixth house. I really love it. I think it is. I think a lot of Virgos feel like they're missing a piece of understanding who they are as Virgos. And I think a lot of the time it's the Aquarius sixth house that they're missing. It's uh, it's critical to understanding what's going on with a Virgo. So over the next three years, Saturn will be moving through your sixth house. This is a particularly great time to be paying attention to the daily habits that contribute to your health. So that's a really major thing to be thinking about as a Virgo with Saturn moving through your sixth house. It's a big deal. Also, um, there may be big changes in uh, who you serve, your day-to-day -day work environment. In that sense, uh, you might have some employment shifts. So that's another thing to be looking at with Saturn moving through your sixth house. For Leo and Leo rising, Aquarius is your seventh house. This is a big one. This is the house of intimate partnerships and one-to-one -one relationships. We've talked about this. If you have a sign as your rising sign, its sister sign, its perfect complement and opposite is going to be your seventh house. And that means essentially that you are identifying with and holding as your part of the polarity, the traits and characteristics of your first house, and you're disidentifying with or, or not seeing in yourself the traits and characteristics of your seventh house that you tend to see in your partners and the people who come into your life. But you actually contain both ends of the polarity. You just identify with one more over the other. So for a Leo, Leo rising, Aquarius represents the traits that you look for in a partner, someone who cares about the world, someone who is very unique and very much themselves, someone who's a little quieter than you and maybe a little more reserved and uh, maybe very interested in what's going on with you, right? Aquarius is always interested in other people. So what that means for the Leo Leo rising, first of all, is that you, you find people like that to bring into intimate relationship um, with you. It also means that you can locate those Aquarian qualities within you as well. So I think in the last episode, I don't remember explicitly, but I think in the last episode, I talked about the fact that if Leo feels like it's kind of going off the rails with like caring way too much what other people seem to think about them or looking too much for reflection, it can go into this uh, Aquarian set of traits that it contains but identifies with less of regard for humanity, of being a total individual and uh, connecting to that total individuality, right? There is balance that we can find when we connect to our seventh house. So over the next three years, as Saturn moves through your seventh house of partnerships, the typical thing to expect with a Saturn transit in your seventh house is to have some kind of restriction or difficult situation coming in with a partnership or several partnerships and to then have you have to be creative in solving the problem from that place of restriction and then you come out of it with a gift, a shift in the way that you relate to your partners that probably looks like you growing up a little bit or you having a more realistic, uh, grounded idea of partnership or grounded relationship to partners. So that's what the Saturn transit through your seventh house is going to look like. If you've watched these videos before, I struggle generally with describing how a sign characterizes an eighth house because we're talking about how character traits come in with how we uh, transform. The eighth house is the house of birth, death, and transformation. So having a sign characterize that very intense process is uh, a lot. It's, it's weird sometimes. It's especially weird for... 
uh, Cancer and Cancer rising because Aquarius is characterizing this process of birth, death, and transformation, which we could also call healing to kind of shorthand it. And when I think about this for Cancer, I think about the fact that First of all, cancer is humanitarian impulse, its desire to save the world from the Aquarian perspective, the sort of more intellectualized perspective, comes in in the way that it heals itself, the way that it recovers from difficult periods of its life, moves into a new period from that, uh, dies to old selves, and is reborn. It has this tone of wanting to serve humanity with the way that the cancer is growing. And also, it is um, probably particularly hard for people to understand cancer and cancer rising's growth or the way that they grow through these types of major changes in their lives because having that characterized by Aquarius means you're kind of on your own and individualistic in the way that you experience that. I really hope that made any kind of sense, guys. I I, I don't bring notes to these. Um, so Saturn moving through this Cancer 8th house over the next several years means that some kind of restriction is coming into play with the Cancer and the way that they change the way that they transform. Just off the top of my head, I would expect this to look something like um, the way that you are processing, the way that you are letting go and bringing in new things is coming under review and you might have some real shifts to make in the way that you do that. Okay, for Gemini and Gemini Rising, Aquarius characterizes your ninth house of exploration, higher knowledge, travel, spiritual growth. So for Gemini, the route to growth, to expansion, to becoming a larger version of yourself is humanitarianism is thinking about the collective and the being able to apply your Gemini intellect to humanity as a whole. I think what's coming up for me here is the way that the Gemini second house is characterized by cancer. The lovey-doveyness of cancer and the ability to care for others is part of how the Gemini values themselves and sees their worth reflected back to them. And then you see that this uh, capacity for growth is found in humanitarianism. It's kind of like Gemini is constantly being pulled into, in, in the second house, thinking about others from an emotional perspective, and in the ninth house, thinking about humanity from this intellectual perspective, but really pulling the focus out of just from my Gemini self, what am I interested in, what gets me, what's kind of fun for me, and then moving into, yeah, but what really matters? Like, what can I play with intellectually and understand that really deeply matters to humanity? And that's how the Gemini grows. Um, as Saturn moves through your ninth house over the next three years, you're going to be experiencing some kind of restriction in this. So you might experience this as literally restrictions on your travel. I always hate saying stuff like this in a um, in a context like the one we're in now where it's obvious that people have restrictions on their travel. But let's say that perhaps for a Gemini, this is hitting a little harder, meaning a little more. It could also be restrictions on... Um, Maybe you were planning to go back to school. Maybe you were um, looking at different courses of study, ways that you could grow, and some kind of restriction is coming in with Saturn moving through uh, this house for you. But that being said, uh, the ultimate outcome 
is that you figure out how to get what you need to do done in the context of that restriction and then it bears a gift for you. So in some way, uh, you grow up or you understand something new about this part of your life, this growth, this expansion, this higher knowledge uh, through the Saturn transit. Uh, Taurus and Taurus rising. Aquarius characterizes your 10th house of career, reputation, what you are generally widely known for. So um, I've noticed recently that a large number of the professional witches that I know of are Taurus rising, which means they have this Aquarius 10th house. Um, it implies, first of all, we do associate astrology with the 10th house. So as a Taurus rising, I, I think about that representing my career and it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but you could also see science showing up in this 10th house. You could see um, if any kind of nonprofit work showing up here, right? Anything where you are moving to help the collective that showing up in the way that you are regarded publicly uh, is what we expect with the Aquarius 10th house for Taurus and Taurus rising. Additionally, there's something a little unique and odd about the way that you're perceived uh, in your career or in the public. You're a little bit hard to define in your reputation. Hmm... I'm not sure if there's anything a whole lot more interesting than that to say. I mean, yeah, we'll leave it. I'm going to start getting just way too, too much into my own stuff if I keep going there. Um, so Saturn moving through the 10th house over the next three years. Well, um, we are coming into some kind of lesson about our career or about how we are uh, fruiting into the world, the fruits of our existence here on Earth. We're understanding something about that. Saturn moving through your 10th house can be a time of a lot of work, and it can also be a time of, you know, maybe not seeing the results of that work so clearly or running into restrictions in it's not the way that you work exactly. It's like, like when Saturn is moving through the 10th house, it will reward you for hard work, but you're not going to get what you're expecting, right? Because it's creating restrictions around how you're seen and how you're producing in the world. So, whew, um, <laughs> so for Taurus and Taurus rising, Saturn moving through this 10th house over the next three years, it's really good for the career in the sense that Saturn loves to help you with your career, with what you're doing with your time on the planet, and with making that useful. And so if you show up and you nose to the grindstone and you do the work, there's a lot that can come out of that. But there's also this part of it that's a little bit frustrating because Saturn is kind of, you know, stripping away your illusions of what this was going to be and, and forcing you to face up to the reality of it. Aries and Aries rising. Aquarius characterizes your 11th house of social circle and community. You can see the overlap in themes there, right? The 11th house is the house of how we show up to a community, how we participate in a community, and Aquarius represents thinking about the collective. So there's overlapping themes. An Aries, Aries rising might find that they have a lot of Aquarian individuals in their social circle, that they know a lot of people who are very motivated by the good of the world and who care a lot about that. Aquarius might really appreciate that in its social circle, having people who pay attention to the good of the collective, and it might sort of identify with those traits as it shows up to community as well. Um, having Saturn move through this house of your chart over the next three years means that some kind of uh, 
restriction is showing up in community, you might be getting mm, maybe squeezed out of a certain circle or maybe squeezed into a certain circle. Something's happening that, that's creating some restriction. And then as you creatively problem solve within that restriction, you're going to come out of this period of time with a more grown-up way to relate to community, to your social circle, and, and with a gift that really comes out of creatively responding to those restrictions. And finally, if you are a Pisces or Pisces rising, Aquarius characterizes your 12th house. This is the house of the unseen, the karmic past, and the connection to the collective unconscious. One way that we can think about the 12th house is that it is like our code, like the ones and zeros that make up what ultimately shows up as our identity in our first house. But it's hard to interact with or understand because it's not in a, a wig. It's not in a format that you can that you can easily like it's it's not in metaphor you can't easily understand it because it's all code it's all ones and zeros so it's really hard to wrap your arms around the themes of your 12th house sometimes and 12th house transits when we have planets moving through the 12th house they can feel 12th house transits we always feel them but we are less able to describe what is happening uh, than we often are with other houses uh, because it's kind of affecting our code, right? Like, it's like the, the robot trying to talk about its program. It's not always easy to do. So when we think about the Aquarius 12th house forming the Pisces identity, it's as if the Aquarius awareness of the needs of the whole and its desire to help the group and help the group survive, help the group thrive, analyze what's going on, and communicate what needs to happen. Those drives of Aquarius end up forming the baseline that ultimately manifests in the Pisces identity of soft love for everybody and sensitivity and openness uh, to everything. So, um, the Saturn transit that is coming up, that's going to be going through Aquarius, your 12th house, over the next three years, it's going to be creating some kind of restriction and shift in your unconscious processing, stuff that, that you're not really consciously aware of. And so that means that you might not really understand what's happening over the next three years until Saturn moves into Pisces in your first house uh, in 2023. But you're going to be experiencing these shifts and you're going to be experiencing this sense of kind of internal tightness that comes with the 12th house Saturn transit. So the advice for that, the advice for all Saturn no, all 12th house transits is relax, you know, write in your journal, use your Pisces intuition to kind of feel out what's going on. And don't worry too much about defining it strictly or being really explicit about how you're being affected over the next three years, because that's going to be hard. Just be willing to kind of acknowledge that something big is happening for you and be patient enough to kind of let it play out uh, over this period of time. Okay, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for leaving reviews. Thank you so much for dropping me little notes. And thank you for asking questions. So I'm going to be incorporating astrological advice into the podcast soon and I have a form up at my website which is 8th.house that's numeral 8th.house where you can submit your question along with your birch birth chart information and ask me for advice which I can give you <laughs> so if you are interested in that go ahead and drop by the website 
and leave me a question. And also tell a friend about this podcast or leave a review or something like that. And thanks for listening. And I'll talk to you next week.